Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. And welcome to Fast Break Breakfast NBA Podcast. My name is Keith. Here alone for a solo interview episode chuck and john will be back with the full episode next week make sure you are subscribing so you don't miss any of the new episodes also make sure you write us an itunes review it's the very least you can do for uh, receiving this free podcast actually the very least you could do is streaming next is subscribing but then write a review a five-star itunes review really helps us out in those rating systems if you've already written an iTunes review and you still want to help us, obviously, become a Patreon supporter. Patreon.com slash FastBreakBreakfast. Not only are you supporting the show, you are getting exclusive access to bonus content we produce. We got some funny videos that go up there. We got bonus audio, power rankings, some other just random things that go up there. You can join the Slack chat. You can join the Fantasy Basketball Leagues. We're playing over at Fantrax.com. I am deeply down in the iShop negative Fantasy League for Pride and Glory to Matt Sullivan. Not looking great, but uh, there's still time. There's still time. It's a highly volatile league. Best Fantasy League I've ever played in. Anyway, you can do all that. Support the show. Get the bonus content at Patreon.com slash Fast Break Breakfast. And I'll keep plugging it. The draft app, draft.com slash fast break, or download it from the iTunes or Android app store and use the code fast break to get a free $3 entry into any game. It's a daily fantasy game that uses snake drafts instead of a salary cap system. It's super fun. I only play it with my friends and listeners on there. You can follow me at fast break break. So I'm not losing money to professionals. I'm only losing my money to the other listeners. I was winning for a while, but I'm on a losing streak. But you know what's great about the losing streak? It's to my listeners. And so I just feel happy that they're on there, and we're all having a good time. And, again, I'm just playing for a buck or two. So no big deal. Join it. Download it. Have fun. It's part of my daily NBA viewing enjoyment routine. Draft.com slash fast break. Once again, draft.com slash fast break. My guest today is a writer for Indy Cornrows, the SB Nation blog covering the Indiana Pacers, and is a first-time guest, Caitlin Cooper. Caitlin, how are you? I'm good. I'm happy that you asked me to be on. I'm uh, happy that you agreed to come on. It's always touch and go there every time we ask. Uh, We start by talking about our breakfast. Caitlin, have you had breakfast today? If so, what did you have? I did have breakfast today, which is kind of out of the ordinary for me because I'm not a huge fan of breakfast. So hopefully I'm going to remain a friend of the fast break (laughs) breakfast pod. But I had a granola bar and then I'm really going to step out of the box because I had cereal, but I did not put milk on it. So, whoa, what kind of cereal was it? 
It was Cheerios. I know. It, it's a little strange, but I, I pretty much never eat cereal with milk, so. Uh, my toddler, you know, he, he likes the Cheerios uh, by themselves. You know, it's fine. Sometimes yeah. it's just easier. You just get dry Cheerios. It's fine. Yep. I actually just dumped them in a cup and went on my way, so. <laughs> uh, are you in the Indianapolis area? Uh, yeah, I'm in Indiana. Okay. Uh, I saw Banker's Life Fieldhouse once dropped donuts from the sky during a game. Are you familiar with this? Is that a regular no. occurrence? No, I've never heard of that. It's no, they've never done that when I've been there. Oh, man. So. I, I saw it on Twitter, and I was like, what is happening? It was, it was one of those things with the, you know, the, the parachutes, like the little yeah. you know, little parachutes, and everyone was jumping up and down trying to grab donuts. I would have hurt people, I think, trying to. Uh, yeah, that, that's good, because like a week ago when I was watching League Pass, the Raptors were dropping Twizzlers, and I, I wouldn't have been about the Twizzlers, but the Donuts, definitely. Uh, the Raptors have the most confusing sponsorship. I think they have a Popeye's Louisiana Chicken sponsorship. It gets very, <laughs> it gets very confusing when they play the Pelicans. The, you know, the the couple times a year they play the Pelicans, and you see them, you know, with the big Popeye's banner, and you're like, wait, that's for the wrong. That's just yeah, weird. yeah. That's that's a little weird. Yep. All right. Well, I have you on to talk about the Indiana Pacers, a consensus surprise team of the 2017-18 NBA season. Uh, If you can turn your brain back to preseason, what were your expectations for this team coming into the year? Oh, man, I've had to eat so much crow about this team so much. Like, I just was hoping going into the season, I remember I was just hoping, oh, just let them take more threes and finally start playing faster. And if Oladipo's usage percentage is high, but he takes, you know, a tiny step forward, you know, I was going to be happy, but they've totally exceeded all those. I mean, Victor's taken three big steps forward, let alone the tiny one I was expecting. So... Yeah, the Pacers were a team where I like to trumpet that I got that one right, where I was like, the Pacers are going to be really, yeah, I was like, they're going to be pretty good. And then I go back and look at my predictions. It's like, yeah, I was optimistic. I, I thought they would win like 30, 32, 33 games. You know, like it wasn't a big one, but obviously. Right, right. I mean, uh, that's better than the <laughs> Vegas over under. I think Vegas had them at 30 and a half. So you would have been optimistic. They were, uh, they were, they were, I felt very confident. I'm like, they're a lock over. They have decent players. They, they, they could win, you know, as many as 35 games they could win. Uh, but obviously, as we speak right now, they're uh, they're still in the hunt for a, a first round uh, home playoff series, being able to host their first round playoff series. Uh, so it's been surprising. And, and again, as you mentioned, one of the big surprises of that is Victor Oladipo's play. Um, when they traded Paul George and got Victor Oladipo and Domanis Sabonis, everyone consensus thought it was kind of a terrible deal. I remember just being outraged that the Thunder were allowed to salary dump Oladipo to, to the Pacers, you know, and get Paul George back. Uh, at what point did you realize, as someone who covers the Pacers, that actually, no wait, the Pacers might have won this trade? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's it's been a series of little steps at the beginning of the season. Like, their second game of the year, Victor attempted eight free throws in a game, which may seem like a small thing, but then over the summer when I was doing research on him, he, in the final three games against Houston, he had 35 field goal attempts and never attempted a free throw. And it wasn't just because he was catch and shoot off of Russ. He had shots in the restricted area. He just wasn't that great at drawing contact. So when he started out of the gates this season and he was getting to the line with regularity, I was kind of like, okay, okay. You know, if his shooting goes up and down this year, he can compensate for that with free throws. But I think the main turning point where he pretty much opened my eyes beyond hitting pull-up threes at an absurd rate to start the season was when they played the Thunder and they were down in OKC and they were 
he was killing it off of dribble handoff action. And Andre Robertson, who's been arguably their most impactful defender next to Paul George, was having to go under those actions just to keep Victor out of the paint. So he was seeding him that space because he just legitimately couldn't stay in front of him. So that and just the overall control of his athleticism at the point of the first Thunder game, I was like, yeah, th- this is okay. This is good. Like you just knew. This is going in the right direction. And then plus on the flip side of that, not knowing what Paul George is going to do in OKC and knowing that he had his eyes on L.A. to be able to get an all star back. You you know, Kevin Pritchard did well. Yeah. When you think about Paul George, uh, are are you still sore? Were you one of those who uh, who who booed him on his return? (laughs) No, you know, I'm not going to tell people whether they can boo or not, but like I never had the same response as a lot of the people did just because. The way that he did what he did, I understand why people were sore about it just because it felt like a rejection of Indianapolis for L.A. And they kind of felt like he lied at the charity softball tournament when he said he played for the Pacers. <laughs> oh, not, not the charity yeah, softball yeah, tournament. Yeah, exactly. They, they, I think they felt betrayed by that. But if he hadn't come out and been honest and been willing to say, hey, you know, I don't want to continue playing here. There's an alternate reality where there was rumors around the time that Kevin Pritchard was looking at Gallinari and Drew Holiday as potential pieces to put around Paul George. So, you know, they could have ended up with those contracts. Not that Drew Holiday's bad. I like him. But I mean, you you would have been stuck with those contracts without Victor, without an all-star to build around. And because he was honest, you know, you got something in return and more than you probably would have expected. So, I mean... Yeah, that alternate reality with Gallinari and Drew Holiday, you're right. That, is, that sounds way worse. It's amazing, and it's made me kind of question my whole immediate analysis of trades where I think I'm going to try to not overly react to anything this coming season because like, I thought it was such a disaster, and then it's turned out almost, I don't want to say best-case scenario, but it's worked out really, really well for the Indiana Pacers. Um, bringing Oladipo back home, is that to Indiana? Is that the better reunion, or is it uh, Lance Stevenson born ready returning to the Pacers? Oh, gosh, that's tough. Just because Indiana has, like, this... Lance has, like, a cult following here, so that that's beyond the point. But I think I would go with Oladipo just because of that dichotomy with Paul George. You know, Paul was wearing his affinity for Los Angeles, and ever since Victor got here, he called it home. He has the this-is-my-city signature celebration. And I joke around a lot that people outside of Indiana don't always realize that the state is – a basketball state, but I think the majority of the fandom kind of leans towards, you know, Indiana and Purdue and watching college basketball. So I always joke that he was the chosen one to come and unite the fan bases of NBA and college basketball under the Pacers. So I think I would lean to Oladipo coming back. Well, as, as obvious as it's more important that Oladipo came back, right. there's something about that energy uh, when Lance comes in. What is it like as, as a Pacers fan de- having to depend on Lance Stevenson to give you production? Oh, gosh, you just never know what's going to happen. I mean, it, it could be like the last two games he's had very good games. When they were out in Washington for the tiebreaker, Miles Turner and Sabonis are out, and Victor was struggling from the field, and he played very well. Against small ball units, he can really, with his strength and his size, he can bully his way to the basket, he can get rebounds, and it's it's just always an adventure. And then, you know, there will be another game where he throws a no-look pass and falls down inexplicably or is monopolizing <laughs> entire possessions, dribbling, searching and probing for a shot just to, you know, throw a wild attempt or, 
you just you never know. It's literally an adventure. The the one handed pass where he fell down backwards was actually one of my favorite plays of the season. We mentioned it on our show uh, whenever that was, like like a month ago. Right, and and you just and Nate McMillan's response to that the next day when people asked him about it is he said he told Lance why. And Lance's response, he didn't even have a response. He didn't know. Like, to just be that. I, I wish Lance was, Lance was like, man, I don't even remember doing it. I was at Fugue State. Just, I, 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 sometimes I was, <laughs> you think that might be what it is. Do, do you think Lance has any sense of self-awareness? Uh, I guess that's the entire question. How, how much self-awareness does Lance Stevenson have as to his actual basketball ability in relation to like the other NBA players and, or why the crowd is going nuts when he comes in? Oh I, yeah. I mean, that's anybody's guess. I mean, that response right there to Nate McMillan, I don't know. I don't know why I fell down. This is Lance's honest answer, but then sometimes it seems like there's method to his madness when he's trying to, you know, bait LeBron into technicals or Joel Embiid into getting technicals as was the case a couple weeks ago. But yeah, I mean, the fans, He, I think he described himself as when he has a Pacers uniform as he has superpowers just because <laughs> the fans, like, it's just insane. Like, even when the announcer just says that Lance is coming to check in, the response is completely different to him and to Victor than the rest of the roster, so. I always wonder if Lance thinks when the crowd starts cheering when, when he checks in, like, does he know they're cheering because I am kind of an entertaining enigmatic spark club and I'm just kind of popular or does he think they're cheering because they know I'm the best player on this team and they're confused why I wasn't in the game earlier. Uh, Yeah. Again, that could go either way. (laughs) I I mean, it could very well be the latter because I think that's the reason he tries to bait LeBron into doing things. Cause I think in his heart of hearts, he believes he's better than LeBron. So, you know, very well could be that he thinks, yep, they're all cheering because they know I should have been in the game. <laughs> all right. So you mentioned the early season shooting of Oladipo where he was hitting three pointers at an incredible rate. The entire team was shooting three pointers at an incredible rate. It, it slid off a little bit. Um, do you think that's going to be kind of the big issue for them as they go into the playoffs and as they finish the regular season, like whether or not they can just keep hitting their jump shots? Right. I think it depends. Wow. That's a lot to unpack, but Oladipo since the break is shooting 33% outside the restricted area. So, I mean, he's, he's struggling with his shot quite a bit, but ways that they're finding to get around that is like, we'll take that game against the Sixers. That was a tiebreaker game. For instance, they shot five of 24 from three Oladipo and Bogdanovich were five of 32. Sabonis got hurt and they played Al Jefferson minutes in crunch time, but they ended up winning by I think three because they got 29 points off 21 turnovers like a lot of their success hinges upon whether they can cause their opponent to commit turnovers or not they're like 21 and 12 when their opponent commits at least 15 and you know the Sixers don't take very good care of the ball so not all of those were forced turnovers but that's a really good indicator of their success when they can at least if they're not they can't trade long twos for threes but if they can keep their opponent from attempting as many field goals then they're in a pretty good place and just their shooting as a whole, though, yeah, that's that's been a bit of a struggle. But with Corey Joseph in the lineup, they've been a better defensive team. Because since the break, they're a top five defensive team. And since around January, I know they've been in the top 10 just because what he does kind of greases the wheels and allows Miles Turner to hang closer to the paint because he's so hard to knock off a screen, Corey Joseph is. And then with Victor Oladipo, 
they always try to allow him to roam off the other team's lesser offensive players because he's so good at playing the passing lanes and anticipating passes so that he can score fast break points and get off to the races. So I would say that their best way to compensate for that is just to continue to generate turnovers. So with Darren Collinson and Corey Joseph, kind of now the roles, they got switched a little bit because Collison was having a career year and again was one of the big factors, I think, to why the Pacers got off to a good start this year. But then when he was hurt, uh, Corey Joseph played admirably. The, the defense ticked up and now they're both healthy and playing. So how do the Pacers solve the conundrum of of who goes with which lineup, who closes games? Um, like, are they going to play together more? Uh, so how, how do they solve this Corey Joseph or Darren Collison? I don't know if it's a problem, but uh, the right. question. It, it's definitely interesting because as they go into the playoffs, they're going to have to decide which type of a team they want to be. I know I think part of the decision Last night, they put Collison back in the starting lineup against the Pelicans, and they didn't end up winning that game. But beyond that is Oladipo, like I said, was struggling outside the restricted area. Teams are starting to cover him a little bit different. They're hard showing a lot more against him, and he's not. he turns it over against traps and hedges because the Pacers just haven't really executed very well, whether it's Miles kind of gets entangled he doesn't slip quite quick enough or they struggle to get the ball to the middle of the floor so I think the idea with Collison is because he is he's been near the top in assist to turnover ratio he's close to 50 40 90 that if he's in the lineup with Oladipo that he can take some of the playmaking pressure off and then you know maybe Oladipo can get his legs back under him and start getting his shot back but the trade-off of that obviously is why I just said defensively that it's like well which end of the floor do you want to take the pressure off of Victor because, you know, when they, if, if per chance they play the Wizards in the playoffs, they were successful in the games that they won over Washington this year because they were able to put Corey Joseph on Bradley Beal so that Victor Oladipo could roam and get in transition. If Darren Collison's in the lineup, they're not really going to be able to do that as much just because there's a significant drop-off in defensive pressure there. I mean, with Corey in the lineup, they're about 10.8 points per 100 better in point differential with Corey than with Darren. And, you know, the flip side of that, too, is that they really haven't been that good when Corey Joseph and Lance are on the floor. They're like minus 100 in the like thousand minutes that they've played together. And the bench is just really struggling to generate offense. And part of that's because Sabonis is out with the ankle injury. But I think Darren could juice it. So, I mean, I think depending upon the matchup, except for maybe if they're playing Cleveland, if they're playing Milwaukee, Washington, Boston, I think you'd want to start Corey. But that's going to be an interesting topic to watch down the stretch. Yeah, one of the issues, you know, with obviously Corey and Lance playing together is is the lack of lack of consistent shooting and just offensive creation that you that's dependable. You know, Lance creates things, but it's it's hard to depend on it. Um, and then just the overall lack of a consistent secondary scorer seems like an issue for the Pacers. Miles Turner, I feel like it was expected that he would step into that role. He would build off, you know, a very nice first couple of years in the league, but it seems like he's somewhat stagnated outside of these last couple games since returning from his most recent injury. He doesn't seem to be much of an offensive creator. doesn't seem to have like a go-to move. It's mainly just catch and shoot. And a lot of it's just long twos. So do you think Miles Turner has stagnated? And are we going to see any form of like developed offensive repertoire? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, prior to the all-star break, there was just so many fits and starts because he started the second game of the season. He's entering the concussion protocol. He's out for two weeks, can't do anything. And meanwhile, Sabonis is blossoming, blossoming. Then midway through the season, he hurt his elbow and he's out again. And like you mentioned, I mean, he wasn't showing a lot of signs of year over year growth. He's his 
coverage against Rollman's kind of spotty. He settles for turnaround jumpers, even when he was getting switches. And they weren't really featuring him either. I mean, his touches were very low. He was earning fourth quarter DNPs in some games with Sabonis playing over him just because of the things you mentioned. If, if he wasn't hitting those long twos, then there wasn't a lot of other ways for him to impact the game. And they don't take a lot of threes, but his credibility out of the pick and pop is how they generate some of those. So they kind of pigeonholed him as a scorer. But I think since the break, he mentioned that one of his teammates actually called him soft a few months back. I'm not sure when the exact date was, and that kind of motivated him. And Al Jefferson's worked with him. And I think a bit of a turning point was against Boston here. They were playing and he was actually in the game in the fourth quarter. He touched the ball and hit that go ahead shot on the block and he was actually backing down his man and hit instead of turning around and fading like he normally does and since the break is he's taking about one to one mid-range to three-point attempts and last season that ratio is about three to one so I think you're starting to slowly see where the growth's coming from that his offensive repertoire is becoming a little bit more diverse he's more willing to go to the block at least when he gets a switch and be more aggressive going right at that guy instead of fading away or getting pushed off the block. So, I mean, I think he's peaking about at the right time and defensively they're holding opponents to less than well, right around 95 points when he's been on the floor. So, I mean, I, yeah, I think he can be that secondary guy if he continues on this track and doesn't, you don't see any signs of regression here to close the season. But it's, do you think he'll ever have enough of a scoring arsenal at post moves or anything, any kind of move? We, we joke on our show a lot. Like mm-hmm. if he had, any move, like literally, it seems like he's just purely uh, standstill. You know, that, that one move you described, I think I remember it. It was, you know, it was, it was a layup. Like where he, yeah, it, like yeah. we were all excited. He turned into a strong yeah. shoulder to, to power up and shoot a layup. You're right, like, well, yeah, because, I mean, he basically <laughs> really hasn't done that like at all this season, but yeah, you're right. It, I mean, it wasn't some, you know, Al Jefferson, Wiley post move or, you know, even something right. that Carl Anthony Towns or somebody would, would bring out of his arsenal. So, I mean, Sorry, but do, Sorry, you, so do you do you think he might ever develop that? Like, will he, will he ever have like the scoring, you know, like be like seventy percent of even like a Lamarcus Aldridge, where it's all mainly jump shot generated? Or do you think the offensive ceiling is more like he's going to be like a Serge Ibaka, who just is just a willing jump shooter? Right. I mean, at least at least he's able to create space. I mean, I think that's a tough. It's a bit of a tough question because last year at the end of the season they talked all about putting the emphasis on him establishing himself in the post, and I would. I wasn't ever sure that like, do we need Miles Turner to establish him in the post? Because in the back of my mind, that was sort of my doubt. Like, can he actually develop that sort of game? And then when it got to be media day, you kind of felt like they changed positions on that and they were de-emphasizing it and talking about, well, the game's going away from post moves. And then when the preseason started, you're like, oh, that's why they de-emphasized it because he really hasn't developed anything in that regard yet. But You know, he very much seems like a player that needs to develop on the job. And what I mean by that is like with Victor, you kind of saw that he took he had this hard summer regimen where he got into shape and worked on developing skills to go with his agility. And you saw it right away to start the season. And with Miles, I think he's more the player that's going to have to learn that as the season goes on. And I think unless he can consistently stay on the floor and hopefully, you know, go to some session with Al Jefferson, I, I would, I would be a little bit doubtful that he's really going to have, you know, a diverse scoring arsenal outside of what we see, but him just being aggressive is definitely a difference from where he was at the start of the season. It seems to be a closely guarded secret, which teammate actually called him soft 
Do you have yes. any? Do you have any informed guesses? No, I, they just keep eliminating people. Like I know it wasn't Victor, it wasn't <laughs> Al Jefferson, and it wasn't Lance. So part of me wonders if it wasn't Corey Joseph, just because of some of his background working in San Antonio. But that <laughs> that would that would sort of be my guess. But some people wonder if it was Damian Wilkins because he had a sit down meeting with him earlier in the season that they thought was productive, but. I, like, I have no idea. I, I've seen the Damian Wilkins theory and I buy it. I like the Damian Wilkins theory. Like that was his, that was his parting gift to the Pacers. Yeah. Well, like, yeah. Then it makes the signing a 37 year old make somewhat of sense. If there's something productive that can come out of that. So <laughs> I can definitely see an NBA front office meeting, sit down be like, we well, you know we got to get an old guy in here just to, to just to, to talk to, to Miles. Yeah, just to call Miles Turner soft. He's not well, Glenn Robinson three has been saying it and it's not, it's not getting to him. Yeah. Well, I mean, really, with Al Jefferson, that kind of makes his contract worthwhile. If you can at least get Miles to learn a few post moves, maybe it's not oh. so bad that you're paying him what you're paying him. Man, but. I destroyed that Al Jefferson signing when it happened. Right. But I wanted people to always know, no, I love Al Jefferson. Yeah. Like, especially him him stepping up those last few games where uh, Sabonis and Turner were both out. And, like, seeing Jefferson put up points, I was like, yes. Like, roasting people on the block, even though his defense is terrible. Yeah. Well, one of the big mysteries for this Pacers season and that this season has gone pretty well and they have a winning record is they're playing, you know, this modern brand of basketball of, of high pace and then they're shooting threes. Do, do we have any idea what finally caused Nate McMillan to embrace, like, I don't know, I don't, I guess, modern basketball? Like, it was such a surprise when Larry Bird's like, we got to play faster, we got to do all this, this, and I'm, I'm bringing, I'm going to have Nate McMillan lead it. And again, NBA Twitter, we were all like, uh, have you seen Nate? McMillan's coaching resume, his teams have played slow forever. So what was it that, uh, that, that caused Nate McMillan to finally, uh, I don't know if it was cave, but to adapt this playing style? I mean, I think some of it's just the ingredients, but I mean, like you said, his record doesn't really reflect that. I mean, even right now, their pace is in the bottom third of the league. Like on the whole, they don't play that fast, except for when they force turnovers and get in transition. If they can't attack early, they're fairly methodical in the half court. But I mean, last year they just didn't have the ingredients to do it. When you when you have Monte in one corner, and Rodney Stuckey out there, and then they'd play units with either Al Jefferson and Lavoy Allen, or Lavoy Allen and Kevin Serafin, or you know, clogging the paint. It was just really hard for them to play fast because they couldn't get stops and they couldn't trade baskets when they struggled to make threes. But you know, this year they have they have more theoretical people that can actually be a threat from outside the three point line, even though that doesn't always come to fruition they've been kind of up and down with that and then just victor himself what type of player he is he's willing to push the pace even off misses or i mean i mean even off makes so i mean i I think it's just somewhat the personality and makeup of this team that he finally has the ingredients he needs to do that but i mean if you look at the numbers they're not gunning those pull-up threes at the same rate as they were at the beginning of the season when they were like setting a pace record against the Brooklyn Nets or whatever, mm-hmm. how many possessions they had. They're, they've played, I think they've kind of figured out that they can't play at quite the same helter-skelter pace and be able to defend people because for the first two or three months of the season, they were they were allowing more points in the paint than any team in the NBA. So it, it's it's regressed somewhat. Yeah. During that whole answer, I was mainly just dreaming about a Monte Ellis, Rodney Stuckey, Lavoy Allen, big three team. I think they could really, they could, they could probably win yeah, the big three next year. That'd be, that'd be great. Uh, wrapping up, we got to mention Thad Young. 
Uh, he's one of my favorite NBA players. I don't even really have a question in regards to Thad Young, but I feel like he's one of those like always underappreciated guys who just does kind of everything. So just tell me, what's your favorite thing about Thad Young and the way he plays? Well, Thad, yeah, he's just such a glue guy. I mean, the best thing I think you can say about him is just a lot of times he'll like apparate to the exact spot that he needs to be in. Like he's just going to be where his teammates need him to be. The Pacers only call two set actions for him, but he just finds a way in the gaps to be effective when like if a player cuts to the basket, then he pops into the mid mid lane area and he'll be there if they need an outlet. But I mean, defensively, he had a really great performance. My favorite thing about him this season is his game against the Milwaukee Bucks, because when he can focus in on just defending one person and he doesn't have to worry about recovering to the three point line, he defended Giannis anti-compo really well if people want to go back and watch that game that was probably one of the best defensive performances against the greek freak that i've seen this season so yeah that that just does a lot of he's just a jack of all trades he just does a lot of things well that make a difference for the team all right finally what's your take on the hickory high uniforms are, are you pro or anti Oh, well, this season, I'm a little more pro than I was the prior iteration of them, just because they're not wearing the red and yellow that look kind of like a McDonald's uniform ones (laughs) anymore. They're they're white with the more maroon color. But I mean, I, I get it as overall because it's a reflection of how much high school basketball means in Indiana. But I also see some of the complaints where, you know, it might have been cooler if they would have picked like Crispus Attucks to be you know, the uniform being, right? the first. yeah, I mean, because it was an actual not, I mean, I realize that the movie is based off a real team, but like, I mean, that's a Hollywood team and Crispus Attucks is a real team. And that's the first all black team to win a state title in the country. So, you know, I, I think that would have been a neat thing to honor. I mean, I personally like the city uniforms that they're wearing with the racing stuff the best. I would rather they, they got rid of the Hickory Knights and just went with the city uniforms. So. I went the one Pacers game. I went to a Pacers game last year. First time I'd ever been there. And it was a hickory night. It's like, it was kind of nice. But then also I have that whole retroactive view of the movie Hoosiers. Like I grew, I grew up a white kid obviously. And was like, this movie's great. And then people are like, this movie is super racist. And then I'm like, oh <laughs> yeah, 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 it really is. So <laughs> maybe they can split it with the Christmas addicts. It seems like they could do, they could do something. Or again, just go pure racing. Those racing stripe jerseys are, are pretty cool. All right, well, Caitlin, thanks so much for uh, taking time to talk with me. You got anything you want to plug or stuff you got coming out? Well, if anybody wants to read sort of about how Oladipo and the Pacers are handling hedges, I had a piece on that last week that if they head on over to my Twitter handle, which is at C2 underscore Cooper, it's pinned at the top, and you can get a look at kind of how Victor used his speed to become an all-star and how the Pacers can't keep relying on that alone now that he's being treated like one, so... Well, that sounds good. Who, who are you hoping the Pacers match up with in the first round of the playoffs? Gosh, I think maybe this is going to sound weird because they're complete opposites of each other, but I'm thinking I'm leaning towards Philadelphia. Like if Philadelphia stays in three and the Pacers are in six, I don't think I hate that matchup just because they don't have experience in the playoffs and they're just so bad about turning the ball over, which is really a strength for the Pacers, converting those into easy baskets. So I think that's where I'm leaning. I also, I also, I want that matchup because then we can make it a giant referendum on tanking. Like this is the, ta- it's, it's the process. There's the, the team that rebuilds ending. on the fly, which process is right based on one seven game series. Exactly. Idea. Yeah. It'll be the defining <laughs> moment. <laughs> All right. Well, Caitlin, thanks so much. And I look forward to talking with you soon. Thanks. All right. 
Thanks to Caitlin for coming on. That was a really fun talk. Uh, thanks to Brandon slash at Ball from Grace for recommending her uh, to talk about the Pacers. Been meaning to talk about the Pacers on this show for a while. Uh, I don't think we've ever had a Pacers guest before. Anyway, if you want to support our show, you can do that at patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast or download the draft app. Draft.com slash fastbreak. Use our code fastbreak. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at fastbreakbreak. Like us on Facebook. You guys are the best. Thanks for listening. And remember, breakfast is the most important thing. Yeah, never apologize for being TNG. Fab break, break, man. You understand? With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.